This is the word of our Lord. Well, praise the Lord. It's so good to gather on a Sunday afternoon and have this extended time uh, together. Uh, so thankful to have our brother Jeff back with us. I, I'm sure that the people of Cotton Baptist Church were fed today, and we're so thankful again for your ministry and even your ministry again amongst us. And one of the, I uh, remember one of the uh, preachers in one of the plenary sessions uh, mentioning uh, that the favorite place that he loves to preach, he gets the invitations. He's a more popular preacher certainly than I am, but he gets the invitations from all over. And one, one of the places that he loves to be, the most popular place that he loves to be again on a Sunday, happens to be in his own pulpit. And I can, uh, I can say that. You know, I love to be around the saints of Emmanuel Baptist Church. I, I, there's so much comfort of knowing, you know, even that passage that uh, our brother Abe read. You know, I'm so thankful for the friendships that have fostered. I, I think it strengthens us in the Lord to come see those familiar uh, faces, to have those familiar conversations about our Lord. It really strengthens us. But I'm also, again, aware that this is a tough world. You know, it really is. It's full of pain. It's full of sorrow. It's full of agony. And I think a lot of times we go through that pain, we go through that agony, and in some seasons happen to be heavier than others. You know, so much so that it just seems like there happens to be a crushing weight of sorrow that happens to be upon us. And we try to act in faith, don't we? We try to many times pray to our God that happens to be above, but it seems like heaven's silent. It seems like God, again, is distance. We try to preach another gospel to ourselves. But it just seems like that crushing weight, that crushing agony happens to be again all around us. And I think a lot of times we can, uh, we can relate to Psalm chapter 13, verses 1 to 2, uh, where the psalmist again prays. He says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me for, Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long will I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? And have you ever felt that way? You know, have you ever felt that sense of heaviness that happens to be over you because of sadness, because of grief, because of sorrow, because of agony? It might be a broken relationship. It might be a death of a loved one. It could be the debilitating um, uh, physical condition where we're in physical pain every moment, every day. That that even sleep, again, dissipates. Uh, We have relationships that happen to begin in our life many times that are not all that they should be. And it's almost like a boulder happens to be again on our shoulders. And we're trying to walk. We're trying to trust Christ. But we feel again heavier and heavier and heavier again over us, like it's going to crush us. And, and, and here's the amazing thing. When we're in that condition, we can be around a, a group of people. We can be around a group of believers and believers who really care for us and believers who really want to minister to us. But a lot of times we still feel like we are all alone. Think about that. You can come to church. You can be around those who happen to love you and even praying for you and even minister to you, but you still feel all alone. And here's the question I, I have for you. Do you feel like that today? Because I do have a scary thought. If you don't feel like that, if you don't have that crushing weight that happens to be upon you, sometime in the future, you are going to have that crushing weight, that agony, that pain that comes in the deepest recesses of your soul. And so the question really shouldn't be, do I have that in the deepest recesses of my soul? Am I in that agony right now? But the question should be, how, how do I respond to it? 
How do I respond when that day, when that night of darkness comes over my soul and it just keeps on going? Because the amazing thing that happens to me about this passage is Jesus starts off John chapter 14 this way. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You know, and that's what we're talking about. A heart that is troubled, a heart that can't be at rest because of the agony, because of the sorrow, because of the concern, because of the worry that happens to so envelope those people. And Jesus has been just talking about again going away, that he's going to be depart from the disciples. And they're overwhelmed with sorrow. You know, he brings many comforting uh, truths that I go away to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be with me also. You know, and we can be eternally with the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the great I am, right? I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. But when you're in agony many times, a lot of times we don't listen. A lot of times we don't hear, again, those comforting truths. They just seem to really go over our head. And that's what happened to one of the 11 that happened to be before him. Uh, we see in verse number 8, Philip asked this question. Philip said to him, Lord, Lord, show us the Father, and it will be enough. And he can imagine, Philip loved Jesus so much, and he realized how dangerous this world is, and it overwhelmed him with sorrow, overwhelmed him with grief, overwhelmed him with anxiety. To think that one day, very soon, one moment very soon, that his Lord would depart and not come back. You know, and what he asked for is just some sort of validating um, sign that he happens to be there. Some sort of sensory experience that he could have. And what he wanted to do is what all of us, when, especially when we're in agony, want. And that is we want to walk by faith. Uh, we want to walk by sight rather than faith. Isn't it true? You know, I believe we all can relate to this uh, request that's made by Philip. We want some sign in the midst of our pain that God is present. God at least hears us. We don't want God's face hidden from us, but exposed that we know beyond a shadow of a doubt he's our God, that his promises are so true to us. And we desire some sort of indication, some sort of sign some sort of sensory validation. And modern Christianity is full of that, isn't it? You can listen to Christian radio again all the time, again all the uh, instances, you know, for this sign or that sign or that sign. And here's the agony of it. You know, when you hear about people having these signs, these extra sensory experiences, most of us, I would say 99% of us, haven't had that. You know, and we wonder, is God really there? Are we really his? And it's in this passage of scripture that Jesus talks. Because think of what Jesus is saying. I am not going to be with you. You're not going to see me. And you've never seen the Father. And we realize in our context, we've never seen Jesus. I mean, I hope I don't get any hands, but how many people have seen Jesus? Right? How many people have seen the Father? And the answer is absolutely none. And here's the amazing thing. We go running after things. We go running after programs. We go running after experience. And everything that we need to truly, and get this, to experience Jesus Christ has already been given to us in his word. And so, you know, I love you dearly. You know, my favorite place to be is Emmanuel Baptist Church. You know, I care about you. I want the best for you. And I know a lot of you happen to be going through deep waters. You know, you, go, you feel the crush of the world that happens to be again around you. And what I want you to do is see the comfort of Jesus. 
you know, to recognize, again, his glory that happens to be, again, in this text. And, and I want us to see a couple of things. And one of the things that I want us to see and really concentrate on is that we can, and get this, in this life right here and right now, we can see Jesus. We can recognize, again, who he is. In fact, look at verse 7 here in this passage of, of uh, Scripture. Let me just skip back here. It says, uh, <coughs> excuse me, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know, me, know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father and it will be enough. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? You know, it's amazing in all of our struggles and all of our difficulties that we always come back to Jesus, isn't it? You know, the author and finisher, again, of our faith. I think a lot of times in our agony, in our struggles, trying to make sense of it, we run in so many different directions. But the only thing that can bring any consolation, any comfort, any meaning out of all the things that we go through is coming back to Jesus. Really seeing who he is, again, as he happens to be in the word of God. And, and, and one of the things I love about verse number seven is Jesus is inviting the question, isn't he? You know, he says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then he, and then he invites the question, doesn't he? You know, he says this uh, to Philip and the others. He says, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you, did, um, you do know him and have seen him. So it's in one sense, they have known Jesus and they have known the Father. We realize they're a package deal, right? The Godhead cannot be separated. We realize they're a package deal. But then he says at the end of that verse, he says, from now on, you do know him and you have seen him. And the key that happens to be again right there is from now on. And what he's saying is that there is a revelation coming. There is something coming that you will know beyond a shadow of doubt, the greatness of the Father and the greatness of the Son. And what he's talking about is the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, this revelation uh, that happens to begin in their life that will seize them through any of the adversities that happen to begin in their life. But again, it's amazing how we can hear truth. It's amazing how we can hear comfort. It's amazing how we can hear about the Lord. We, it's amazing how we can learn about his personhood or hear about his personhood. And in our grief, many times we are so fixated on what we are going through. Philip is so fixated on his loss. He's so fixated on that sorrow. He's so fixated about the future and the anxiety that happens to be in the future that it goes right over his head. You know, he asked the question again there in verse number eight, Lord, show us the Father and it will be enough. You know, Philip wants to know beyond a shadow of a doubt if Jesus departs that there will be some manifestation, some extra uh, experiential, visual manifestation of God that will validate that he is on the right path. Maybe he wants something like Moses. Remember, Moses uh, makes the request of God that he wants to see God and he's put in the cleft of the rock and here comes God in all of his glory, and he passes by Moses, and he announces who he am, who he is. If I have that, and you depart, God, I will be able to follow you. I'll be able to handle all of the trials, all of the difficulties, all of the heartache that happened to the beginning of life. I need something, again, extra. 
I need some sign. I need some manifestation to really make sense of what I am going through. And again, I think we, we are there many times. Oh, if somebody would just come to a saving knowledge, then I'll know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the agony that I went through was absolutely um, validated. It was absolutely worth it. Oh, so if somebody just gets their heart right, then I'll know beyond a shadow of a doubt that it was worth it all. But I need to see something. I need to see some manifestation of God. But look at the answer that Jesus gives in verse number 9. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? And I love this answer. I really do. Because think of what he does. He takes, here's Philip, and he's concentrating. We talked a little bit about this this morning. He's seeing the bigness of the problem. I'm without the physical person of Jesus in this world. I'm going to go through this world of darkness. I'm going to go through all of these trials, all of this travail, and I'm going to go through it without him. You know, and I'm looking at the bigness of my trial. I'm looking at the bigness of, of the obstacle. I'm looking at the bigness of my suffering. I'm looking at the bigness of my anxiety that happens to be in my life. And, and again, it could be multifaceted things that you're going through. And what Jesus does is he says this, have I been with you so long and you don't know me? And what he does is point away from the difficulty, away from the problem to who he is. You know, because in all of our quest for something more, and there's always a quest for something more, this is what we're actually saying to God above. God, Jesus, you're just not enough in what I'm going through, in the agony. We need some spiritual rush or some, again, adrenaline to pump us through in order to get us through this, in order to relieve the pain that we are going through. And Jesus says in verse number nine this, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show me the Father? You know, there's a question asked. And again, it redirects the attention on Jesus Christ. You know, how how can you say this? You know, we're a package deal. We're together. And I love, again, what he says here, because he says, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Now, you have to understand. Now, here it is, Sunday afternoon. We're tired. So here it is. Okay, 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 I want you to get this. You know, let's put, 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 put on our thinking apps because there's three Greek words for see in the New Testament. And each has a little di- uh, different connotation. They all, again, are talking about these right here and some sort of perception. You know, and one of the Greek words that are used is blepo. And blepo just means to see. You know, I might look out today and I might look at the sky and this is what I see, a blue sky. You know, if I was talking about a blue sky, I see the blue sky, I would use blepo, right? There's another Greek word that is used, and it's theoro. And theoro, we get our words theorized from. So think about it. Here are the Pharisees, and they're before Jesus. And the man who happens to be a paralytic is lowered through the roof. And Jesus sees the faith of these men. He sees the faith of the paralytic that happens to be before him. And he says, son, your sins are forgiven. And what do the Pharisees see? They see all of this, but they theorize inside of them that Jesus is committing blasphemy. How can anyone forgive sins? Only God can forgive sins. And they theorize that. You know, and that's the second word. The last Greek word is orao. And when you look at orao, it means to see so much so that there's a perception. There's an understanding 
you know, the significance of what I see that happens to me again before, uh, before me. And this, is, and this is the word that's used um, when they come to doubting Thomas. Remember a little later in this gospel, they come to doubting Thomas and they say this, we have seen the Lord. It means more than a visual seeing, but we comprehend more than ever before. Not only is the Messiah, but he's none other than God in human flesh. He's greater, he's bigger, he's more glorious than we could have ever imagined. So, you know, that's what he means, again, that happens to be again right here. There's, an, there's a visible manifestation of the glorious Father that happens to be above because we can see Jesus through the Word of God. You know, when I was in uh, Nova Scotia, I think it was about four or five summers ago, uh, we play this game, and it's just a silly game. I don't know if you've ever heard about it, but it's called washers. And you have this wooden box, you have a cylinder that happens to be in the, med- uh, the middle, and you have these big metal washers. And they actually have competitions through, through, throughout the Maritimes with this. And, they, and, and, and I mean big competitions. They play for money, they, they have these tournaments and everything else like that, but, but it's a fun game. And we get together, we choose teams, and nobody's really good at it. Uh, except my dad, you know, he, he practiced for months and months because he knows, again, when we're getting together, he's going to play. Uh, but we have a lot of fun. And I, I can remember one year, my, my sister videotaped it so we could watch it later. You know, and, and uh, we, we started watching it. And we we're teasing one another. We we're really having a good time. But I noticed something. I noticed something about myself that I never noticed before. And that is, again, I walk just like my dad. I mean, it was amazing. You know, and, and I can remember, I'd flip a washer and I would walk, and my arms swung the exact same way my dad swung his arms. And it was just like I was watching my dad, and I was fascinated by it. And, here, and here's my whole point. When you look at the visible Jesus Christ, guess who you see? You see God the Father. You really see him. In fact, again, he even goes on and he says, whoever has seen me, or or, or he uh, says, whoever has seen me, and this is what he means, has seen the Father. You know, he means that, but he also means that there's such a unity that happens to be, again, in the Godhead, that to see one is to see the other members of the Godhead, right? Right, We, we teach this. There are three distinct persons in the Godhead, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They're distinct. Right? Here's, here's, you know, at the baptism, right? Right? Jesus goes into water, that dove from heaven, voice from heaven. It's not Jesus is throwing his voice, but the voice from heaven. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. But there's only one God. You know, it's a mystery that happens to be, again, so great. Uh, James White gives this definition in the Forgotten Trinity. He says, within the one being that is God, there exists eternally three co-equal and co-eternal persons. Namely, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So when we look at Jesus Christ, what are we seeing? None other than the Father. There's a unity of personhoods that happen to be there. Now think about it. Because why is this so important? And the reason why is if you want to know God, if you want to know the Father, if you want to know him in the midst of your trials, in the midst of your suffering, then all you have to do is look at the Jesus in the Gospels. If we want to know if God cares about us, if God notices our trials, if he's moved by our trials, look at Jesus before the tomb of Lazarus. When it says, because here's these ones he cares about, he truly loves, and it's 
mentions that Jesus wept. That's an indication of the Father's great concern for us. For us. If, if we wonder if God wants anything to do with us, listen to the invitation of Jesus, because it's the invitation of the Father. Come to me, all who labor. And listen to what he says next. And are heavy laden. In other words, that weight is upon us. And listen to the promise, and I will give you rest. If you wonder if God really has a strength, really has a grace, really has the ability to meet us in our trials, just think of all of the stunning miracles that were done by the hand of Jesus Christ. It teaches us about Christ. If we wonder if God really loves us, if God the Father really loves us, remember the oneness of the Him and the Son. And when Jesus hangs on the cross, He's not dying for you as a theoretical person. He's dying for you as He knows you, even knows you this very moment. He loves you. And let me say that none of this is, is extrasensory experiences. But it comes through this knowledge of abiding, truly learning of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is better. This is more necessary in whatever we're going through. We can see the invisible God in a greater way. Even in past generations before the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, he came in human flesh. We can understand him. We can understand his care. We can understand his concern. Whatever we're going through today. And it's right here. And with the time I have left, I just want to give again again a couple reasons why you should look for the Jesus in the Word of God, especially when any time that happens to be in our life, but especially when we're going through trials, when we're going through heaviness. And we really see that in verses 10 uh, and uh, verse number 11. And let's look at verse number 10. It says, do you, not, do you not believe that I am in the Father, and his Father is in me. And then he says, the words that I say to you, I do not speak my own authority, but the, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe an account of the works themselves. The reason, I think, many times we want some sort of extra sort of experience, sensory experience that happens to be again out there, is because basically we just don't like trials. Isn't it true? None of us like suffering. None of us like disappointment. None of us like heartache that happen to begin in our lives. If you like heartache, if you like disappointment, if you like struggles, if you like pain that happen to begin in your life, please come talk to me at the end because I really want to have a conversation with you. You know, none of us like it. But we also realize beyond a shadow of a doubt as we look at the Gospels and what the Gospels again teach, that the greatest growth that could come into our life, how God becomes real, how Jesus becomes real and necessary many times in our life as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ is through the struggles that happen at the beginning of life. And we realize that. But the question I want us to ask in all that, because we already know that, the question I want us to ask is, are you convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt in whatever you're going through today, whatever agony, whatever heartache, and it is multifaceted in a small congregation like us of what of the suffering that people are going through, the heartache that people are going through, the tears that people are going through. Let me ask you this question. Do you believe beyond a shadow of a doubt what we have in Christ is more than enough? Do you believe that? 
Do you believe Jesus is more than enough in the agony, in the strife, in the heartache, in the worry, in the anxiety that you're going through right now? Because if you say no, you're going to turn in some other direction. You're going to turn again to some other Lord, some other Savior, some other place to find some other comfort that happens to begin in your life. And what I wanted to do is give you two reasons why you should turn to the Christ of the Scripture. And the first one, again, is given here right, uh, right at the end of verse number 10. And he says, the words that I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. Now, think of what he's saying right here, because he's talking about the Word of God being the Word of God, isn't he? It's talking about, again, the production comes from God. And please don't misunderstand the text. It doesn't mean when Jesus speaks, he's some sort of puppet of the Father. You know, he's going like this, and the words that are coming out are the Father's words. That's not what he means. But he means there's such a love, such a cherishing of the Father that happens to be above, that every word that comes out of Jesus Christ. Uh, mouth. Every word that's spoken from him is by the will and under the absolute submission of the Father that happens to be above. So think of what we have in the Word of God. Think of what we have in the Word of God. Think of what we have in the Gospels. We not only have the Word of God because it's spoken by God the Son, but these are the words of God the Father. And here's what we say many times. When we look at the word of God, here it is. The word of God is absolutely inerrant. We teach that, don't we? It's absolutely God-breathed. It's inspired of God. We teach that it's absolutely authority. In other words, it's truthful in all of its claims. But we also teach it's absolutely sufficient for everything that pertains to life and godliness. And so when we look at Jesus Christ, what the Bible teaches, no matter what we're going through again this afternoon, that he's more than enough. He's everything that we need. And let me ask you, do you believe that? Do you believe that, that in the midst again of all the trials of life, that everything that you need is found right in this word, that we can see the Christ of this word. You know, First Peter chapter, or Second Peter chapter 1, beginning of verse number 3, says this, says this, and think of these words. His divine power has granted, in other words, gifted to us, all things that pertain to life and godliness. Now, let me just, just ask this question. What's life and godliness? And it takes in what? It takes in all of our lives. Doesn't it? It's not, again, a part of our life. Well, life and godliness is in the church. No, life is life. Godliness is how we respond to life. And he says his divine power has granted to us everything that pertains, right? All that things that pertain. All means all, right? It means everything. Everything that I'm going through. Every situation that happens to be again in my life. Now, let me ask you the question. How is it mediated through our life? If God has given us, again, everything through his divine nature, if Jesus gives us everything that we need in the battles, in the struggles, in the disappointments, in the pain, in the suffering, in the heartache of life, how does he give it to us? He says his divine power is granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And listen to what he next says next. This is how it's mediated to you. This is how it's mediated to me through the knowledge through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious 
and very great promises. Don't you love that? Right? I have a knowledge of Christ. I have a knowledge of who he is. And let me say, I think a lot of times, promises like Romans 8.28, right? All things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Many times there are no value because of this. I do not have that knowledge of the Son. His greatness, his glory, his preeminence that makes those promises so living and so vital in our lives. And that's what he's given us. And look at the outcome. You know, because read after, he says, by which he has granted to us uh, uh, his precious and very great promises. I love that very great promise. So that, here's the outcome, through them we might become partakers of what? The divine nature. Now, what's he mean like that? Does he mean we become a God? No, he doesn't. It means this, that we become like Jesus Christ through the adversities, through the struggles, through the trials that happen at the beginning of life, having escaped. In other words, this is how we used to handle the problems. This is how we used to handle difficulties, having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire, right? right? I escape. I'm going through this trial, and I choose to escape it with this sinful desire right here. I'm going through a trial that happened to be in my life. I'm going through suffering, and all I want is some sort of pleasure, so I go over this. He says, no, 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 no. Through the knowledge of Jesus Christ, what becomes our solace, what becomes our strength, what becomes our all, is I see who Christ is, and then I see the validity of his promises, and I come to trust in them. You know, it's just like 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 18. This is what we're doing when we behold Christ. And we all, with unveiled face, in other words, the veil has been removed, Beholding. What are we beholding? We're looking. We're seeing the significance of someone, right? Beholding the glory of the Lord, the glory of Jesus Christ. And this is what's happening when I see Christ are being transformed into the same image from one degree to glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit, right? Isn't it amazing? Right? We're fearful, Look at these things. Look at what people can do. Look at, look at, am I going to be like this forever? And we're looking down here. Right? And the moment we pause and we concentrate on him and see who he is, all of a sudden these fears, anxiety, concerns, even the sorrow that happened to be in our hearts, start to dissipate because we see who he is. It doesn't mean the tears end. It doesn't mean the sorrow ends. It doesn't mean our circumstances end. But we're assured that this Jesus is mine. And he's in full control. And the reason why we should look and try to see the Jesus that happened to begin of the word of God is because the word of God is the word of God. Isn't it true? It is. Right? Do you believe it's the word of God? The sufficient word of God. God, for whatever I'm going through. But the thing is, again, I, I think a lot of times we think of the scriptures as some sort of magic book, some sort of hocus pocus. If I can just find the right verses, and if I can just say it a hundred times really fast, then all of a sudden I'll change. And it doesn't work like that. Here it is. It is found, here it is, in a knowledge of Jesus Christ, isn't it? 
It's a comprehension, right? Right, right, right? Intellect is involved, our hearts are involved to see the greatness of this Christ. And you can see that in verse number 11 because, because uh, Jesus uh, challenges Philip and the other disciples. He says, believe me that I am in the Father, right? Here's this idea of oneness again, and the Father is in me. And he says, if you're having a hard time with this truth, if it's going over your head, if you're having a hard time believing the oneness of me and the Father, he says, or else, believe on account of the works themselves. You know, I'm always amazed at the Lord. Because in times where I think I'd be absolutely frustrated with somebody, you know, three years and we're asking this question now, show me the Father, right? I'm amazed at the patience of, of, of uh, Jesus. And what, what he does, if you're having a hard time believing these truths, if you're having a hard time believing Romans 8, 28, if you're having a hard time believing that I'm going away, and this is why I'm going away, to prepare a place that you may be with, with, to prepare a place that you also may be with me, and you may be with me eternally, if you're having a hard time with that, just look, look at my words. Just look at my works that I have done. Just look at who I am. In fact, it's amazing, but he uses the same argumentation when John the Baptist, the greatest man of faith in the Old Testament, when he struggles and sends his disciples, you know, because I'm in prison. I'm going to lose my head. Are you really the Christ, or should we look to another? What does Jesus say to him? Well, well, listen in Matthew chapter 11. It says, and Jesus answered him, go and tell John what you hear and see. Now, what did he see? Think about this. We're seeing and we're comprehending. We're understanding. We're seeing the significance of it. Here it is. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up, and the poor have the good news preached to them. So here is Jesus, through the oneness of the, of, of the Father and the power of the Holy Spirit, who authenticates his personhood through these signs, through these wonders. You know, he has power over the natural elements. He's able to walk on water. He's able to steal, steal storms. He has power over the created world. He makes wine instantly like that. He multiplies fish and bread to feed 5,000. He's over every disease, every malady. You know, we can think of blindness, lameness, deafness, leprosy, every kind of disease. He's over and has power over the demonic world, the unseen world. He casts demons out by a spoken word and they have to obey him. He has power to forgive sins. I mean, have you ever thought about that? Who can forgive sins, right? Lower it down. Who can forgive sins? Only God alone. But that you might know that I have power here on earth to forgive sins. In other words, I am God. Take up your bed and go home. This is the Jesus. And the greatest evidence of the personhood of the Lord Jesus Christ that we find in all of the Gospels is the resurrection. Jesus is alive. He's conquered that penalty for you and for me. And think of it, because he's greater authority, doesn't he? As he goes to the right hand of the Father at, uh, on high, this is Jesus. This is the Lord. This is the one that I follow. Now, let me ask you, do you really think in, his grief, in your grief, in your sorrow, and I'm not trying to make light of it, do you think in your grief, in your sorrow, in your disappointment, 
that Jesus really is not enough? That he can't handle it? That he can't be glorified by it? That he can't use it in your life? That he can't give you what you truly need even to live for him? Because remember the request of Philip, Lord, show us the Father and it will be enough. You know, did Jesus respond to that? Jesus' response to this is this. Philip, I am enough. Philip, look to me. I am enough. Whatever you face in this life. And isn't it amazing that he leaves three things. His word, his spirit, and his people. And all three, words, spirit, and people, use in conjunction with the first one, the word to bring us to hope and see the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Philip thinks his trial's too great. We think our trials are too great. You know, we think many times to go through these things, our doubt is too strong. If God would just manifest himself, if he would just give me some sign, and we fooled ourselves. We think again, if I just had a sign, if I just had something extra, something outside of the scriptures, something again that would validate my struggles and my pain and my sorrow, then that could continue on. And we fool ourselves. Let me say beyond a shadow of a doubt, nothing that God could do in the here and now, as far as an experience, would be enough. Think about it. How about this? Do you believe that if you were with Peter on the Mount of Transfiguration, you would say, that does it for life. Doesn't matter what I go through. Doesn't matter what hindrance, what hardship, what agony I go through. I've seen the kind of glory of Jesus Christ. That's enough. Right? Peter talks about it in 2 Peter chapter 1, and verse number 16. He says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we were what eyewitnesses of what is majesty. For when, we re- when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice who was born to him by the majesty, glory, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Think about it. Philip wasn't there. Philip could say, Jesus, if you could just show me your kind of glory. If you could just show me that glory, that radiance of God the Father through you, it will be enough. And you know what Peter says next in his epistle? He says this. This is in 2 Peter 1.19. He says, and we have the prophetic word more. Look at that word more. More fully confirmed. Now, think about it. What's he talking about here? We have the word of God. We have the scriptures that are better as far as confirmation in your life and my life than something else. And you know what it's pointing back down? Pointing back to? It's pointing back to the transfiguration of Jesus Christ. He says, you have something better. He says, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you do well to pay attention. That's your problem. As to a lamp shining in, look at our lives, a dark place. And how long do we dwell in this until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart? This is what we have. We have the word of God. And let me ask you, in all of your agony, in all of your frustration that happened to begin in your life, 
Are you seeing the Lord Jesus Christ in the scripture? Are you saving here, savoring his, his presence? It doesn't mean just reading it, but thinking about it. You know, what's Jesus done? Who is he? Is he the creator? Look at the creation around. My Jesus created it. Did he die for my sins? How hard was it on the cross? You know, he was made sin for us, concentrating on what we already know, thinking, meditating upon these truths. Because this is what Jesus says to start the chapter. He says this, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. That's the key to heavy hearts. That's the key to the agony of our souls. You know, I love that little, and I'll close with this, I love that little Bible song that the kids sing. Don't you love those choruses that the kids sing many times? And I love this one. It goes like this. <laughs> Jesus loves me. This I know. Why? For the Bible tells me so. He does love you. And how can we know? Because of this. It's all that we need. It's the sufficient word of God that allows us to see the Jesus in the here and now. Let's bow our hearts in a moment of prayer. Every heart bowed, every eye closed at this moment. I want you to think of some of the adversity that you're going through right now, some of the worry that you have in your life. And I want to ask you a direct question. Where are you looking at this moment? What do you concentrate on? When that great worry comes, maybe because of your children, maybe because of your spouse, maybe because of your situation, maybe because, again, of relationships that happen to begin in your life, is there anything of a trust in Christ? Do you believe that he is more than enough in your trials? Because he invites you, right? All who are, uh, all who are in labor and heavy laden to come to him. Won't you come to him? Won't you learn from him? Won't you realize the significance and the glory of our great God? Our Father, we thank you so much. We thank you that we can see your personhood. We can see your greatness. We can see your glory. We can see your care. We can see your watch over us. We can see that you are absolutely more than enough because we can know you as we look at the sun. We thank you for the sun coming. We thank you for his death. We thank you, Lord, that through his death we learn of your heart, Lord. We learn of your care. We learn of your love towards those who are undeserving. I pray, Lord, there's many that happen to be in our congregation. Lord, probably more than half that are going through deep, deep waters of pain, of agony, of sorrow. Lord, where the darkness does not seem to to let up. May they see that light, that day star of Jesus Christ in their night. We thank you so much. In Christ's name, amen. Brother.